0: Told his disciples this parable. A man going on a journey called in his servants and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to a third one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. Immediately the one who received five talents went and traded with them, and made another five. Likewise the one who received two made another two, but the one but the man who received one went off and dug a hole in the ground and buried his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants came back and settled a council with them. The one who had received five talents came forward, bringing the additional five. He said, Master, you gave me five talents. See, I have made five more. His master said to him, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Since you were faithful in small matters, I will give you great responsibilities. harvesting where you did not plant, and gathering where you did not scatter. So out of fear, I went off and buried your talent in the ground. Here it is back. His master said to him in reply, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I did not plant, and gathered where I did not scatter. Should you not then have put my money in the bank, so that I could have got it back with interest on my return? Now then, take the talent from him and give it to the one with ten, For to every one who has, more will be given, and he will grow rich. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And throw this useless servant into the darkness outside, where there will be wailing and grinding of teeth. The Gospel of the Lord. The last few weeks of the liturgical year are a time when we hear um, a series of readings, uh, Gospels in particular, that are meant to kind of shake us a little bit, to shake us from our, our, comfortable, uh, our comfortable thoughts, our comfortable existence, to shake us from any spiritual slumber that we may find ourselves in. We recognize it's been a while since we celebrated any of the major liturgical seasons that kind of have these calls to us, Advent and, and Lent especially, um, and so it's been a long time that we've had green Sundays. And some other church gives us these readings to make us reflect upon our end as we come to the end of the liturgical year. Next Sunday we'll celebrate the last Sunday of Ordinary Time for us, Christ the King Sunday. And it will be the end of the liturgical year. And just as we celebrate the end of the liturgical year, Mother Church gives us the readings that reflect upon or invite us to reflect upon the end, not of just a a liturgical year, but of our life. To reflect upon, in short, the last things, the four last things, death and judgment, heaven and hell. The four last things are not things that the world likes to necessarily think about or talk about. We understand that the world wants to keep death away as much as humanly possible, not to talk about it, not to acknowledge it, not to have to deal with it. Funerals have turned into celebrations because we don't want to have to grieve. We don't have to face death. We try to, uh, to, to advance our, our, meth- our, 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 our medical care such that we, we can push death as far off as possible. And it's understandably so. This is the only world we've ever known, and we kind of like it. I think, at least I do. We're with family, we're with friends, we have enjo- you know we have pleasures of this world that we can enjoy to a certain extent. But sometimes death can be oh, so far pushed away that we forget the fact or deny the fact that all of us must taste it. All of us one day will die. And this is a reality. It's the natural consequence of living. But it's not necessarily a bad thing. Every funeral mass, and the funeral masses that are offered in the church, the reality is that uh, the preface of the mass reminds us for the faithful Lord, life is changed, not ended. Death is elsewhere described as a veil through which one passes. It's not something that needs to be feared. It's a part of the life of the soul. We are conceived, we are born, we live, we die, and then we go somewhere after this to spend our eternity, which we've been preparing for in this life. Death is a passing through the veil, a going to another side, a place we haven't yet seen, but upon which we're invited to reflect. The world also doesn't like the reality of judgment. The only time it's acceptable to judge is when a person doesn't agree with our opinion, and then we can judge them all kinds of things, at least in the eyes of the world. But if a person judges another person, how dare you? We become very quickly the world. We can become indignant. No one can judge me. God alone can judge me. But we forget that the fact, God will judge us. And how much the world does not like the reality of judgment, All of us also will stand before the just judge one day. And just as death, this too does not have to be a fearsome thing. When we think about judges, there can be a sense that we immediately can, you know, think about the negative side of judgment, of guilt. But how blessed would be the heart, how peaceful and joyful would be the heart to stand before the just judge and for him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your master's reward. Whew. Thanks be to God to hear those words and to know that the fight is done and we <laughs> we're done. There's no more wondering. There's no more wrestling. There is eternity in heaven. Judgment for the faithful is something that we can look forward to. That we can joyfully anticipate. On the opposite end of things, if we don't live a life in accordance with Christ, then it is something to be feared. Because the words that we hear will not bring one, they're they're not ones that will bring peace to the heart. It will bring an absolute unrest to the heart. And that's just the first part. That's before even the bad things start to take place in the soul. Separation from God entirely. Separation from goodness entirely. That indeed is a judgment that one ought not be concerned about, unconcerned about. One should be concerned about it. The other night I was laying in bed and I was, I don't know if everybody does this, I know that I do this. I was thinking about the last things, obviously, preaching upon it. And for a moment, I was able to understand and to have a glimpse in my mind's eye of the reality of me standing before the just judge and he said the words of condemnation. And I'm on the second floor of the rectory and I think my stomach dropped so far it hit my desk in the office below me. To really understand the impact, the reality of a judgment of condemnation is a terrible thing, but also a blessed thing. My first response upon upon even just praying with that reality was lord help me remember this much more often because very easily i can forget i can presume that i'm i'm good but i can't presume i have to continue to strive after you so help me to remember the reality of judgment again judgment doesn't have to be a fearsome thing Because what comes after judgment is the thing that we ourselves have already chosen. This is a reality. God doesn't just send people to heaven or send people to hell. He confirms their own decision, He ratifies what a person has already chosen for themselves. Because all of us, ultimately in this life, we seek one of two things either we seek God or we seek self. Now, in the concrete situation of every day, we kind of usually kind of flip flop back and forth in various moments. None of us gets it perfect. And hopefully by the fact that we're here in church today none of, none of us does it perfectly imperfect. Sometimes we choose well, but sometimes we choose poorly. But in the end the thing which we desire most, the place where our heart is, the place where our actions have tended towards for the majority of our lives, for when, unless we repent of our sins, this is the thing that Christ will give us. The thing we desire most at the moment of death, God will give. He doesn't want us to go to hell. But if we desire separation from Him, attachment to ourself, attachment to our own will, attachment to the things of this world, over-attachment to Him, He will allow us to have it. But if we desire Him, even imperfectly, even though we do it poorly sometimes, even though we have to go to confession regularly for not doing it well, if we desire Him above all things, if we are attached to Him, our judgment will be a wonderful thing, and we will be able to receive the joy of heaven because our heart's already there. Our treasures are already stored up there. And the Lord is simply there to confirm what we have already decided of ourselves. Will I serve him or not? It's important for us to reflect upon the last things in this life because. The simple reality is that when our race is run, it's over, period. There is not a moment after death, at least revealed to us by Christ, there is not a moment after death by which an individual is able to look back and then repent of their sins. It's our own life here and now which calls for repentance. A person running a race or a person running a marathon can't finish the marathon, realize they missed their personal record by three seconds, and go back, go back and add on a little, a, little, a little extra energy to the push right at the finish line to make it. The race is done. Your numbers are your numbers. It's the same thing with our spiritual life. The spiritual race that we run, all of us, whenever it is finished, it is finished. And we stand before the just judge. So it's for us here and now to reflect upon these things, to repent of our sins, and especially to use the grace of Christ given to us, to allow the grace of Jesus Christ to actually work in our souls. This is so much the meaning of the readings that we hear today, the gospel in particular, to use his grace In the gospel we hear a, a sort of harsh word at the end. You know, sometimes Jesus says things that we don't feel like fits fits the Jesus that we're told. You know. He says things you seem like that's a little harsh for nice kind Jesus to say. And one of them comes here in this gospel. To those who have, more will be given. And to those who have not, even what they have will be taken away from them. That doesn't seem just. That doesn't seem merciful. How is this something that we can understand as coming from the lips of our Lord? How is it that we can understand this message as something that is indeed true? Well, first is to recognize that Jesus uses uses oftentimes the, the, the things of our daily experience as a way of speaking to us the spiritual reality of our lives. Jesus uses physical things to help us understand spiritual ones. All of us, I think, can understand investments. You made five, you had five, you made five, good job. You had two, you doubled it, great job. You had one, but you buried it in the ground? Wow, inflation rates have gone up. I I have less money now than when I started because you just buried the thing. You didn't even put it in the bank. The reality is that Jesus is speaking here, not just of finances. The talents that are entrusted to us according to our abilities are his grace. His grace the life of God given to us by the sacraments and by our prayer. It is the life of God given to the soul by which we are able to live, by which we are able to be sustained, by which we are able to actually do anything that is good and holy. If there is anything that we do that is good, it is because God's grace is working in us to to allow us to do it, to compel us to do it. It is his grace in all things that is most important. But we must be willing to use it. The one with five talents or the one with two talents, whenever God gave them something, when Christ gave them something, when Christ gave them His grace, they said yes and they did something with it. They went out and lived with faith, essentially. They said yes to receiving what Christ had in store for them and it became fruitful, it increased. And this was what Christ does. When we say yes to him and we actually seek to follow his will and we do his will, more will happen. More will come. This is how we wind up with the saints who do absolutely, absurdly holy things because they said yes when they were little and they kept saying yes. And this is the reality. If we say yes, God will use us more. To whom, you know, those who have much, more will be given. A person of tremendous holiness will be entrusted with even more of a share of God's grace and the part of, of God's mission entrusted to them. They will have an even more prominent role because they're willing to carry it out. But if a person says no, if a person out of fear runs and takes the grace that Jesus gives to them and hides it so as not to, so as not to have anything negative happen to them, or actually maybe, maybe, maybe even just kind of out of concern for the master. We don't want you know, to you know, upset things too, too much here. Right? If a person receives the grace of Christ, whether in the sacraments and prayer, but does not respond to it, does not do something with it, does not allow it to take root in them, does not allow it to increase within the virtue, Christ will say, okay, if you're not receptive to my grace, I'll give it to someone who is. To the one who has not, even what they have will be taken away. If we're open to being instruments of Christ, God will use us. And if we're open even more, he will use us even more. And to the extent that we close off our hearts, he will allow us to be as we are, to choose, allow us to choose to be as we are, separated from him, little by little, removing ourselves from his grace because we've shown we don't want it. We won't use it. We're afraid. The wonderful thing about this life is here and now, as we said, we can repent. And if until this point we have been very much people who have been no to the grace of Christ, we can turn back and begin today to say yes. And Christ will take advantage of this. How quickly he comes to us when we allow ourselves to receive his mercy. When we seek his mercy, he is there before we can even respond. Before the, I mean, he's the one who compels us. He's the one who draws us to the confessional. If we allow him to show us his mercy, he will bring us back into grace. He will restore us to friendship and he will begin once again to build us up and to offer us those opportunities to make use of his grace, to say yes and to mean it, to show it by our words, by our deeds. Today, as we offer this Holy Mass, it's an opportunity again to contemplate the last things, to keep before our mind the reality of death, of judgment, of heaven, and of hell. It's an opportunity for us to come and to reflect upon the words of sacred scripture, to whom much is given, the, you know, the, the, to those who have, more will be given And dear friends, you have received and you will receive much here. It's for us to ensure that we are not afraid to use it. To pray today in this holy mass for courage. That in those moments where we become fearsome to live out our faith, to have the courage to do it anyway, come what may. Not to be concerned about the world and the things of the world. But it could be a concern for Christ and for love of him for us not to be afraid to live our faith here so that we won't have to be afraid when we stand before the just judge. We will have certainty because by our yes here, we have shown ourselves faithful. And if we are faithful to him, he is faithful to us.